How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all that uh, that social media stuff under BTBN. If you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, leave us a review. You guys have done a really good job leaving reviews. I don't care if it's one through five. Hopefully, you feel it's uh, in that four to five range, but leave us some feedback. Um this thing, man, you guys have done great sharing it, um, listening. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I get comments every day about all the uh, the updates and the ideas and thoughts and who you guys want me to talk to. So it's really cool. And uh, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun talking to different guys that I've never had, uh, you know, in, in-depth conversations with more than just Facebook Messenger back and forth. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, make sure you jump onto the BTBN Facebook page and uh, look at that green, um, black, just the BTBN colors, green, black, gray, um, blank that I turned into a, a duck call. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool one, man. I, I really debated on keeping it for myself, but the colors are just that cool that it matches the, uh, the BTBN colors. So we're going to do it as a giveaway. Jump on there, like, share, um, subscribe to the podcast. Hit done in the comments. Tag a couple buddies in your uh, in your done comment, and I'll give you an extra entry. I don't know how many days podcasts we're gonna make that last for, but uh, I want to give that thing away here in the next couple weeks. So uh, give you guys a couple more chances if you haven't done it yet. Make sure you do it, and uh, make sure you do everything to get the most amount of entries you can. That is the best way to grab yourself a duck call for free. Um, that being said, if you want yourself a paperweight to put on your desk or maybe around your lanyard this year, um, you can also give me a holler. Uh, I've had a, a bunch of guys hit me up since I've been running this thing, wanting to be put on the list. So I, I'm a slow, I'm a slow list goer, man. I, doing these podcasts, raising kids, working a job. I, uh, I turn calls just a couple of days a week where I was doing it four to five. So I'll get to you, I promise. If you want one, um, just reach out to me. And uh, if you don't, it's cool too, man. I'm um, glad that you guys are listening. Today, um, I got another good one for you guys. I talked to his mentee yesterday and uh, Mr. Teddy Hoover. And he mentioned his name quite a few times in the podcast. So uh, I figured that's the best guy to follow up with and um he's a a world champion goose caller he's a champion of champions goose caller he's won a i think he's a world live duck champion i think the first world live duck champion if i remember teddy's comment last night on there so it'll be a really interesting uh podcast he's another guy from the eastern shore and uh, that's just a very historic area and uh, he's been in the competition goose scene for a long time so um yeah it should be a really fun one with a lot of topics without further ado mr john taylor all right how are you doing today sir doing good good thanks for the shout yeah no problem at all you been staying busy here lately yeah trying to uh in this all you know i said the off season now turkey season behind us and and we just uh, you know, turkey season kind of gets you 
when when waterfowl season would go out, uh, it just seemed like it took forever until hunting seasons would come back. And then started turkey hunting years ago, and then that would kind of speed up the process. But now um, I don't do that much custom work, but um, just trying to get caught up on some custom work. Most of my stuff anymore is CNC, so um, but I'm, I'm kind of getting back into doing some customs and trying to get caught up on that. So. Nice. I remember uh, last night, I guess I should remember, it was only last night, Teddy was talking about how he uh, was getting into turkey hunting. Has he been doing it with you at all? Uh, we were supposed to, but it just never never worked out this year. This was a this was a different year than, than most. I didn't get out uh, much at all uh, this year because, like I said, I've been working on these custom calls. So, And my job, my work changed, so my schedule wasn't as flexible, so... Our intention was to get out, but we we never did. But he's got the fever now. He's hooked. <laughs> Is uh, did work change because of all the COVID stuff going on? Uh, yeah, pretty much so. Yep, yep. I've been a correction officer by trade for like the last thirty years, and and so uh, I was at a pre-release unit where we have road crews and work release and all that. Well, with all this COVID, all that stopped, so they kind of just shut our facility down and, and, and we're working in a, another facility. And so the time off isn't the same <laughs> you know, before. You know, like I said, I've been doing it 30 years, so I can set my schedule up around hunting season. So I work overtime for comp time and uh, between my vacation, I can take off most of the hunting season. And um, so this happened uh, March the 13th is when they shut us down and so now i'm working different hours and don't get off like i used to so i i don't take that much off for turkey hunting anyway but um but try to save more for waterfowl right and man being a corrections officer in the middle of all this uh this covid nonsense i can imagine like did you they make you guys start doing anything different oh yeah we gotta wear masks and goggles and all kind i mean it's <laughs> It's miserable, <laughs> especially today. It was like ninety-three degrees out, and uh, those housing units are hot. You go outside to cool off. <laughs> it's That's hot. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing like being in a, a very high-stress situation like that, and then having to add. I was in the Navy, and you know, we'd all every once every three days we'd have to stand, you know, either pier guard or you know a topside rover, you know, armed with an M4 in. Uh, you know, a nine on the side and stuff like that. And that was all fine. Even in the heat of the summer, I was out in Virginia Beach. And uh, then we'd go through drills, or if there was a elevated level of terror threat, we'd have to start putting on Kevlar helmets and the freaking 40-pound vest and stuff like that. I'm like, this, <laughs> you know, adding more gear, sure, it keeps me safer, but now I'm far less tactical. Uh, yeah, well, whoever invented our uniforms... <clears throat> they weren't correctional officers because we bl wear black uniforms and out there in that hot sun <laughs> it's 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 a long hot day but that's pretty crazy so you uh you said you've been doing this turkey hunting man do you guys get much snow geese out there at all snow geese yeah yeah yep a lot of people going crazy over snow geese the past man i'd say the past decade i mean it used to be farmers would beg you to come shoot them because they, you know, they didn't want them on their winter wheat, and they would beg you to shoot them. And now, man, there's outfitters. I mean, if they could do a, they could do a mini series on just snow goose wars. Um, it's it's become really big, but we don't fool with them. Um, I mean, I have hunted them, but but 
I, I don't fool. It's too much work. <laughs> you got to do way too much work for snow goose hunting. I mean, as far as the scouting and constantly riding and seeing what the geese are doing and then trying to get permission. And it's just, um, I, I personally don't chase them. <laughs> but a lot of guys do. It's become really big out here. Yeah. I, I live here in Missouri, and we have Mound City, you know, is kind of the, the mecca for snows in this central flyway. And that was one of the things, you know, when I first started waterfowling, it was just kind of duck season. And then it was like, all right, how can I make this go a little bit longer? All right, we got residential honker season a month before duck season. Cool. And then it was like, all right, there's early teal now. So I can start going a whole month earlier than that. And then, you know, season comes to an end. It's like, well, now I can go chase these snow geese for an extra month and a half up at Mound. And uh, we'd mess with that. And then it was like, all right, sweet, got into turkey season. And it was like, man, off season's only uh, three or four months now. <laughs> it uh, it took a toll on the uh, the family for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it certainly does. Yeah, it's uh, you guys, the the hunting opportunity out there with with snows and ducks and just the the land opportunity being so narrow. Yeah, I can imagine all the guides and stuff like that. It just that's I I gotta got out of hunting around mound just because it's such a headache and it's always you know you'll you'll have a feed and you know you've been scouting it and then you have somebody come and pawn jump the freaking rooster it just it's not worth the headache and guys start getting in fist fights over that kind of nonsense and slashing tires yeah it's a lot of craziness out there on like uh there maryland to be as small as it is and and maryland if you look at the map of the united states and you look at the state of maryland it's a, it's a relatively small state compared to most but then you've got the chesapeake bay that splits it and you've got the western shore and the eastern shore and, and there's a lot of guys that, that have great success over on the western shore but uh, the majority of the waterfowling is is the eastern shore and it's got a lot of tributaries a lot of uh tidal marshes but everything is for, for maryland to be as small as it is there's a lot of public land opportunities and when you waterfowl on the public land everything you just said i mean it's people that are you know going out there in the middle of the night to get their spot that they want to get and then someone will come set up right on them and it's just public land can it can be really good hunting um but you got to deal with the crowds and so and i and i played that game for a while when i was younger and didn't have the money for leases and you know i mean i had a few farmers that I can hunt those farms, but in Maryland, it's very, very competitive uh, for land. So, in other words, like, you'll go scout birds because you just want to know what the birds are doing, but you have limited resources because, you know, of uh, I'm, I'm in multiple leases, but everything's leased up. Yeah. So, there's a lot of competition, a lot of competition for land, and, and if you want to play, you're going to pay, you know, and, and, you know, naturally, the better farms cost more money. And if you don't want to pay it, somebody is. So, well, especially being over there on the East Coast, where there's a there's a lot of big money, and it's kind of like I've talked to guys down in Louisiana, where hunting opportunity and private land, you know, is there's a plenty of places to hunt down south, but the best spots you have all those oil rig guys, and it just becomes a bidding war for you know the best spots, and the average guy who's working a normal job is like, okay, what am I going to do now? Yeah, and that's some what they've started doing uh, over the past so many years around here is forming big clubs where they just have multiple members, and so 
you know, some of them, depending on, they might have uh, plant sunflower fields and, and have deer hunting. So you have different levels of membership. So if you just want the waterfowling, it's it's this price. And if you want the waterfowling and dub, it's this. And if you want all, you know, everything, the deer, turkey, whatever, it's another price, whatever. But the downside of that is you're in a club with a bunch of different members that you, you don't really even know some of the members. So, and that works out real well for some people, but, but, um, we just try to run our own stuff, you know, but, um, I mean, like back in the heyday of Canada goose hunting on the Eastern shore, uh, when outfitting was real big, you had a lot of outfitters and outfitters, you know, leased a lot of farms for their, for their outfits. And so, you know, you, you had to compete with them and they were hard to compete with because, it was their livelihood and then you know as, as the numbers started decreasing in Maryland the number of geese we'd winter or whatever and outfitting it, goose hunting just seemed to become much more wide widespread and the outfitters there's still outfitters here in Maryland but but nothing like it was you know back in the mid late 70s early 80s um, so now you're just competing with with different clubs um, and, and you know just different people at least farms and whatnot. Gotcha. You started off as a, a younger guy guiding, didn't you, out there? Used to guide a little bit, um, and I'll still do it once in a while. I got a couple of buddies that run outfits, and I tell them, look, man, if you're in a jam and you need somebody to take a group, I'll take them, but, but don't book a group figuring I'm going to take them because over the years, I was very fortunate to get to hunt with uh, some of the top guides at the time outfits whatever and got a lot of experience but one thing i learned was that people that were just as passionate or more passionate about it than i was when you turn it into a job it becomes a job and then they lost their passion for it and some of those guys are like man i don't if i never shoot another goose i don't care and i, I don't ever other than my wife and kids um my most passionate thing is waterfowling and and i don't want to do anything to jeopardize the passion that I have for it. And some people run hunting parties and, you know, uh, have been doing it for years and love it. They, 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 they love the whole part of it. Not, I mean, not selfish, but I just, um, I'd rather hunt with my friends and strangers. So I try not to, I did the guiding thing for a little bit, but, but it just, that really wasn't for me. I, I like the fun hunt too much and I take a lot of different people all the time. I just don't charge them any money. I mean, I love to take people hunting, but I like to take people, you know, more like through the call business, you meet a lot of different people that are interested in a call. They come over and they've got the same passion for it you do. And I'm like, well, hey, man, what are you doing? Uh, you you want to go Monday morning? Like, oh, man, yeah, that'd be great. You know, so I take a lot of people that way, but I just don't charge for it. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a better way of doing it. A more relaxed atmosphere. You don't have the pressure. I just, I look at myself as a 20-year-old hunting and now up into my 30s. You know, as a 20-year-old, I'm like, cool, man. I'm going to run on three hours of sleep every day, all of duck season. Now into my 30s, I'm like, eh, I think I'm going to stay home and stay in bed and get up and play with the kids and make breakfast today, and I'll go hunting tomorrow. You know, like, I still love have that deep love for it, but it's not, I don't know. It's I feel like it's there's some of it, especially the guiding aspect, that is a young man's game, staying in there <laughs> and just being crazy, running on freaking Red Bulls and you know, staying oh, up yeah. and chasing fields and Well and it's funny too because I'm I'm fifty six now, so I'm like the old guy. But when I was younger, man, I mean I, I 
it wasn't like I was trying to hunt every single day of the season, but I would. And, you know, I'd, you know, I'd start thinking, well, dang, oh, man, I missed a day yet. And then I'd look at how many days were left in the season. I'm thinking, well, man, I'm, I'm not going to miss a day. And it used to be, I'd, man, it didn't matter. It could be full moon, warm, no wind. I mean, but, you know, just awful hunting conditions. But my mentality was you're not going to kill them on the sofa. You can't kill them if you don't go. So I would always, you know, no matter what, I was hunting. And, um, and and like I said, with my work and because of where I live and where I hunt, I've, I've got a lot of opportunity than, you know, more so than the average guy. But um, as I've gotten older, now I take quality over quantity. So, and, and there's some guys that, you know, some older heads that, that had a lot of experience. And I say, hey, man, let's go Tuesday. And they're like, ah, no. I say, come on, man, let's go. And they're like, no, uh, what are you doing Thursday? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in, man, I'm in. Yeah, and but they just knew when to go. And then as time goes on and you get more experience and you're thinking, you know, with the weather patterns and this and that, and, you know, you pick the better days. And so, you know, as you get older, I don't know, you still have that drive, but it's not when you're young. It's just like, let's go, let's go. Yeah, man. Hey, I'm going. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get, you know, caught up in the numbers and, and, you know, it's all as you get older, you learn to appreciate it more and and you know look at the social media today because like when i was growing up you know we didn't have computers and all this social media and everything like right at the end of your hand all this information and you know but now you see it and you just the social media like with all these piles of birds and just you know and and, and i get it i mean hey man when i was younger you know like i said it, it was a numbers game and you know you want to be as successful as you can be so you know you, you try to do what you can do, but but as I've gotten older, I, I, I'm not as big on the numbers, you know, making piles. Don't get me wrong. Hey, it's nice when it happens, but I just, I take quality over quantity. Yeah, so. I, I agree. And it's it's definitely a, a younger mindset with that, that picture and, you know, getting the attention. Hey, look what I did. Look what me and my buddies did. And I, I'm the same way. I you know, I'll post a pile picture, but it's something my really good buddy, we've hunted together, I don't know, usually like 50, 60 days a year, and uh, he's about 10 years older than me, and uh, I was still pretty green when we started hunting together, and he was like, dude, I never take a picture with me in it with the birds, and I was like, I get it. it. It takes the attention away from what I wanted on. Like, I'm just showing off, you know, what I did. If I don't kill a bird, I don't care. But taking a picture of birds coming in or shooting a little, you know, video of it or something like that, throwing it up on Snapchat, it's not necessarily about me to shoot them, but just seeing them work. Like, that's what I think is really cool about it. And that's why I got involved oh, yeah. with messing around yep. with calls. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was raised. You know, right hand, left hand. Don't let your right hand, let your left hand know what it's doing. So, I mean, like when we come up to the boat ramp or whatever, we got all of our ducks covered up. We don't want anybody to know. I mean, and it's not that we're, do we're not doing anything wrong, but we just don't want to show our hand. Because there's a lot of jealous people out there, man. And, and, and if you're doing good on a place and they think it's the place, and then next thing you know, you're competing for a lease and somebody's trying to, you know, rent from under you and... <laughs> we, you know, because Teddy, Teddy and those guys get on me all the time. Like Taylor, you gotta get on this social media. You gotta, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't. I tell, I don't. Uh, you know. So usually, like on our Facebook page or whatever, it's, it's usually one of the guys from Team Shore thing that's posting up pictures or something like that. <laughs> and that's really funny. You said covering up the birds. I'll have guys ask me all the time. We hunt. 
I don't know, probably 80% private ground most of the time, just because I don't like dealing with the duck parks. Here in Missouri, it's the draw system, and it's just everybody shows up at 4 o'clock, and there's 100 people waiting for 20 spots, and I just don't oh, yeah. like that headache. So yeah. uh, people always ask, and be like, oh, man, where were we at today? I'm, I just point them towards the local duck park. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. oh, man, we really wore them out out there today. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times when we were shooting, and they're like, Hey, and, we're, and you know, you're like, yeah, that was no, that was the next morning. That was you know, whatever. But we we try to be more low profile. I mean, you know, and, and it's not. I mean, it's not that you know, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to beat your chest or whatever. But but it's just sometimes less is more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the gamesmanship. You know, it's kind of it's kind of part of the whole aspect of it. You know. Yeah. And we never really talk numbers. I mean, if somebody said, "Hey, how'd you guys do?" You know, uh, well, we you know we uh, we bumped into them this morning or something, but <laughs> we don't we don't get into the the numbers or whatever. But but you know, I say that we don't we don't shoot a lot of high numbers anyway. But but <laughs> I feel you there. It's a lot of competition, so you know you don't want to get more show your hand. So tell me about how John Taylor gets into duck hunting. What? Or goose hunting, I guess, since you're on the eastern shore. Probably a mix of both. But where did it all start at? Well, actually, I, I was born and raised around hunting all my life. And, um, but growing up, I was, uh, you know, I was raised around deer hunting and squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting. And um, my father waterfowled before we were born. But then, you know, th- that's going back to when Maryland Eastern Shore, um, you know, had a i'll say a reputation or whatever i mean of i'll say outlaw gunning and baiting and whatever and anyway when my dad was raising us he's like you know with waterfowl and duck hunting was kind of like it was an accepted way of hunting you know i mean it wasn't did you feed duck? everybody fed ducks it wasn't a matter of if you fed them is how much you fed them you know and that was the stigma i mean and i'm talking about before i started hunting you know and so anyway my dad he didn't want to raise us uh, wrong around hunting, so we, you know, T's were always crossed, eyes were always dotted, and so we didn't waterfowl. And I had an uncle that was, you know, an avid duck hunter, uh, my dad's younger brother, and um, he got my older brother into duck hunting. Well, about the same time, I I started bow hunting. This was like the late seventies. I mean, back in those days, people weren't even bow hunting. I could bow hunt all season long and never even see another bow hunter. And uh, so he's like, man, you got to go duck hunt, man. You got to go with us. And I said, look, man, if it's half as much fun as you say it is, then I don't want to go. Because if I got time to hunt, I'm going to be up a tree. I was just crazy about bow hunting. And um, so I, I I, just passed on the waterfowling. You know, now I'm 14, 15 years old. And um, so I started dating my wife. And her father was a big goose hunter. And I was going over to meet him. And so... He was asking her, says, does this boy hunt? She's like, Dad, that's all he talks about. He's crazy about it. Does he goose hunt? She goes, I don't know. He, I mean, hunt, he talks about hunting all the time. So I go over there, and I meet him, and I hold my hand out. Like, hey, Mr. Webster, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And he doesn't even, he said, boy, do you goose hunt? I said, no, sir. He said, you want to go? And I had, like, zero interest in wanting to go, but I'm dating his daughter. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> and I went one time, and the first time in the blind, um, his, his brother-in-law's, father Bobo Hampton who he's dead and gone now but he had Eastern Shore Guide Service with Pete Henry and we went up there goose hunting and I'm in the bond with uh three-time world champion Tim Govey and man I am just like 
I'm here, and, and I'm not a wing shooter. I'm not used to shooting anything flying. And, man, they've got geese all over us. And, and I was more amazed about the calling. And I think I, I killed, like, one goose that day. And But I shot probably a box of shells. I couldn't hit anything. <laughs> and anyway, I came home, and, and so my wife and girlfriend at the time said, you know, how was it? I said, oh, my God. It was just instant. I was I was instantly addicted. Bill hunting took a back seat, and now – so now I'm just like a sponge. I'm trying to go every chance I get, and I'm and, and I was very fortunate to get to go with some really good goose hunters and and learn a lot. And they could see my passion, so they kind of took me under their wing. And they're like, "Man, this guy is just I've never seen anybody eat up with it like he was." And so that's how I got started. I got started in my late teens dating my wife, and uh, it was her father that uh, introduced me to goose hunting, and. Uh, so then I was more amazed at the calling, hearing these guys, and now we're going back in the day where everybody was blowing old 800s or old 77s and maybe a Glenn Scobie, something like that. And then, lo and behold, Sean Mann uh, had come out with his Eastern Shoreman. And I had never met Sean. I'd never heard or seen an Eastern Shoreman, but I had heard about him. And we were on this one farm over the next county over. And this one morning I'm hearing this call and at first I think it's a goose but I'm like no that's not a goose that's a goose call that's somebody on a goose call but I've never heard a goose call sound like that before I was like man I got to go over to this guy when he comes out I gotta go over there to him to see what, what in the world he's blowing and lo and behold man he's blowing one of those Eastern Shormans and I thought my god man how do I get one of those and I mean this was back in like 88 and these things were like $125 well we're blowing ten, twelve dollar olds, and that was just like unheard of, man. One hundred and twenty-five dollars for a goose call? Are you crazy? And so I thought, well, I don't care. How do I get one? And so at that time, he was doing everything by hand, and he was taking orders. And so you just you put a twenty-five dollar deposit down on it, and when he got it done, you paid the hundred dollars and got your call. And shoot, I think I was like eight or nine months waiting to get this call, and he called me, and I got it, and that was in '89. And, um, man, he just kind of revolutionized, you know, I mean, it's, you know, when I first got it, oh my gosh, I thought, man, I spent $125 and, and I, I couldn't go because the air presentation was so different than on a conventional style. Oh, and I had that thing probably for three months before I could even get a honk out of it. Cause you know, I, I, I wasn't very proficient, um, you know, but, uh, once I learned it and everybody that thought I was crazy to spend that kind of money on a call, well, once I, once I got fairly proficient on they heard it, they're like, how do I get one? You know, <laughs> how do I, get, I don't care what it costs. How do I get, you know, and it made total sense because I mean, back in those days, a, a good waterfowling coat was a hundred, 150 bucks, you know, a shotgun back in those days was three, four, five hundred dollars. So you, look, if you're going to spend three, four hundred dollars on a shotgun and you're gonna spend 150 dollars on a coat and you know you got a 150 dollar dog and i'm just throwing random you know prices out there right well why wouldn't you spend 125 dollars on a goose call i mean it, you know it makes total sense and um so anyway listening to these guys calling i, I was more amazed at the calling and you know i told my wife i said look after that first goose hunt i said i might not ever shoot another goose but i'm gonna learn to blow a goose call like what i heard today uh and and that's how it all started and like even today you know, when you talk about competition calling and, and the way it's evolved and the way it's changed over the years, you know, when I first got into it, I was just so eat up with goose hunting that when goose season went out, man, it didn't go out for me. I mean, you know, I year round, I'm, I'm still fooling with a call. I'm doing, 
you know, uh, whatever. So, so back in those days, at least in this area, there was only like two contests a year. There was one, uh, the next county over at the National Outdoor Show, they had a contest. And then the following fall, they had the World Championship. So you would practice, you know, all year long for those two contests. And, um, and you know, not to confuse competition calling with hunting because you know like like listen to that podcast and we're saying well you know a lot of guys say, well, I shoot my judges well and, and i understand i get that but what i'm saying is i was just so passionate about waterfowling that competition calling wasn't as fun as hunting but it was the next best thing and the cool thing about competition calling is that usually during the hunting season there's little to no contests because everybody's hunting but when hunting season's over now the contests kick in so Okay, I get to continue my passion, but I get to do it year round. And and I tell people all the time when they come over to, to get a call, and I and I tell them I say, listen, if you know when you talk about competition calls, they're really a needle in the haystack compared to waterfowlers nationwide. There's a lot more waterfowlers than there are competition callers. But I said, if you don't get to see, you know, and and to get up on a stage and try to impress five guys behind a curtain is just for a select few, but. Listen to me, what I'm telling you. If you don't get as proficient as you can on a call, you're cheating yourself. Because, and and, and, and over the years, doing calling seminars at different places and, and have this conversation, and you say, listen, when you first get into waterfowling, regardless of however you got into it, whether you were born and raised into it, whether your sister's best friend's mother's father's brother got you into it, whatever, however you got into it, think about how passionate you were, and then when you get your first retriever. And you put your heart and soul into this dog and you work with him and you work with him and now it's hunting season and you're taking that dog hunting. And I said, listen to the passion people have when they talk about their dog. And Man, we went out this morning and we shot this dog and it fell on the other side of the creek and man, old Hank went out there and made the most unbelievable retreat, man. I'm, I'm telling you right now, as much as I love waterfowling, I, I don't even have to shoot a duck. I, I just want to work my dog. And, and everybody's head is shaking up and down like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Because everybody that has evolved from a waterfowler that started out waterfowling got their own dog. And now, as much fun as waterfowling was when you first got into it, and now you got a dog. And you got a, a dog that's, that's working pretty good. You look at how passionate people are about working their dog. And I said, well, listen, if you think watching your dog make an unbelievable retrieve is rewarding, let me tell you right now, when you when you got birds going across that sky that have no no you know thought of coming to you and you hit them with that call and you can turn them and make them do what you want to do or like here on the eastern shore where there's a lot of competition so you know your farm you might have somebody hunting the farm across the road from you or you might have somebody on the farm right beside you or you might have somebody hunting beside you somebody hunting across the road i mean you can see two three four rigs with where you're set up and so you want to have the right um you know you 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 want to uh show the right goose well, etiquette whatever so if the if the birds are neutral then they're anybody's birds but if, if if those geese are coming from that other farm's direction and they've got the first shot at them okay we'll see what they do with them and they got them working they got them working working and it's like all right see what they do with them and they just slid off you're like oh they're neutral now and you start on the mat call and pull them over and boom 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 it, it's it's rewarding it's a lot of fun so i tell people all the time look man if you don't get as proficient as you can on a call you're cheating yourself because that's where the real fun is. I mean, if, if I had to put it in proper perspective, I'd rather call them first, watch my dog get them second, and shoot them third. And when I say that, 
I flat out love to shoot them. <laughs> so, you know. Well, so, and it's it's the equivalent of being a bow hunter and pulling your bow out the week before season and never touching it again. You know, the whole off season, you're you're not going to be proficient in hunting if you're just you know putting in half or shooting owning a gun. Oh, yeah. And that's a that's a very I mean just like you just said, you take a guy that's a bow hunter and bow season's in, so okay, yeah, I go out there and I sling some arrows, uh, you know, right before uh, the bow season starts. Or a guy that shoots three D targets, you know, and goes to these three D D tournaments and he's shooting his bow year round. Well, who do you think's gonna be that better bow shot? <laughs> you know, the, the the guy that is the weekend warrior that like, okay, bow season's in, so yeah, I shoot my bow now. Or that guy that Man, I'm a bow freak, and uh, we're shooting tournaments every other weekend somewhere. And, uh, you know, yeah, I shoot my bow an hour to two hours a day, you know. So, yeah, and it's, it's something, the same thing. It's something that I think so many hunters, and I do mainly waterfowling, but it goes to a lot of different hunting. And it sounds like a negative thing, but almost have an addictive personality. It's where you find something like waterfowling, bow hunting, rabbit hunting, whatever it is, the thing that you do. And you start off and you're hunting the season, and then you get addicted to it. And you're like, how can I find a way to do this thing in the off-season? Whether it's training training a dog, going out and hitting a calling competition, getting into call making, um, shooting 3D targets, shooting clays. You know, guys, they just want to be surrounded by the love and the passion and finding a way to keep it going all year round. I know that's, you know, why I got into different things, and it's it's we're all a bunch of freaking addicts when it comes to hunting in the outdoors. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 365 days a year, there's not a day that goes by in my house that I'm not on the phone or talking to somebody about goose hunting or goose calling or duck hunting or duck calling or call making. It's all waterfowl related. And that's three, 365 days a year. I mean, it, you know, and, and I'll have people call and then and they're like, man, your wife must chat said, nah, she's used to it. She, she's used to it. But, but yeah, it's 365 days a year. <laughs> you know, I mean like back in, um, we had a, a goose moratorium and in 94 to 2000. And so we had six years that we couldn't hunt Canada geese and uh, because the numbers were down, but what seemed like the most, god-awful worst thing that could possibly happen while that was going on it wound up actually being the best thing because i learned more about canada geese than i ever would have if i was out there hunting them every day because i was so you know such a goose freak that that you know when they when they closed our season i was still going out and every day and watching geese and setting setting up for geese you know and there would be a lot of i mean I live 40, 40 minutes from Blackwater Wildlife Refuge, and they used to winter quite a few geese. And I would go down there, and they've got a tourist center. And I'd go in there, and I was like, hey, uh, do you all have a receptacle? I could charge a battery up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, right over there. I said, okay, well, now I'm, I'm videotaping geese. And um, when I, you know, I go through a battery, I want to be able to come back and get a fresh battery. And they're like, yeah. And, man, I would just go over there from before light to, to after dark and, and videotape geese and watch geese. And, you know, because there again, back in those days, there we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the social media. There wasn't this instant gratification of, well, let me Google this. Let me do this. So you did it through trial and error. So, you know, I would, I would listen to what some of the old timers had to say and, and, and they had a lot of experience and I would take it into consideration. And, but, but there was nothing better than just going out and watching and listening to geese. And so, you know, see, 
what the geese on the ground are saying to the geese in the air. What are the geese in the air saying to the geese on the ground? Are they coming to the tail of it? Are they coming to the head of it? Is it, you know, how tight, you know, the geese on the ground, or are they loose, you know, whatever. And, and there's just so much, so much more that I learned that I would have not learned as much or as quickly, um, you know, if, if we were hunting them. And, 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 you know, like a fair comparison, say, if you've got a, a deer hunter and one of them's a rifle hunter and one of them's a bow hunter, well, that rifle hunter, I mean, you know, he's not in the woods as many months during the year as the bow hunter, but when a when a rifle hunter sees a deer, <laughs> good chance, pow, mm-hmm. he's got right. But a bow hunter, so many times, uh, he watches a lot of deer because they were either too far off, couldn't get the right shot, so. He, he, he has nothing to do but watch him. So he gets a lot more of experience. He'll get more experience in one year of bow hunting than you would 10 years of rifle hunting, you know? And, and so, you know, when we didn't have that goose season, um, man, I learned an awful lot. I mean, you know, and people talk about decoy setups and silhouettes versus full bodies and this and that. I'd have a field geese we're using and I'd put decoys out and, you know, a, a, a similar rig and with no calling no nothing and just let's just see what the geese do and, and i'll have a tight rig over here i'll have a loose one over here you know uh or this versus that and just you know and just watch the geese and see what the geese want and you know when when i used to work at this one facility that was not too far from my house and it was back on the Quanica creek and in my area that was like the biggest roosting area um in our area for Canada geese and so it was right behind where I work so and I worked there for 25 years well as much as as much as I knew it was a uh I didn't realize until that they shut that facility down and I as as good as I knew I had it I didn't realize just how good I had it when I was around the geese every single day and we had a lot of resident geese there too so in the summer months when the migratories were gone i'm watching you know five or six hundred resident geese that were around there and you know from them making their nest to and i would document everything i would document you know when i first see them nesting and when they were hatching out and you know how you know how many little ones this one had how many little ones this one had watching but but it was just a wealth of knowledge where i was around and when geese you know, with the migratories would first show up. And, and and several times over the years, I've watched them when they would leave, and I would keep, you know, detailed documentation of when the geese would first show up. And then, you know, how late they would stay and when they would leave. But it was so cool watching them leave because there was, you know, a couple times I was out there where these geese, you know, they got real vocal for two or three days, just vocal, vocal. And they're all out on the water, but just real vocal, real more vocal than normal. And, and then, boom. And when they were going back, they would just go straight, almost like straight up. And then they get to a, like a plateau and then boom, level off and boom, gone. And, and it was just neat to watch. And if you weren't around the geese like that every day, you you know, some of the stuff you get to see because you're around them every day, the average person, the average diehard goose hunter doesn't get to see because, you know, they might live in town or they, you know, they don't live around the geese. And so they're not around them every day. They, they go hunt them. And yeah, they're very knowledgeable, but when you're around the geese every single day, you take it for granted, but when they shut that facility down, man, I miss it. It's been two years, it'll be, well, it'll be three years next month that I haven't been to that facility, and I miss it so much because I was around the geese every single day, and, and just a lot of knowledge, man, you, you know. 
And some people can't see the forest for the trees. You got to pay attention to what you're seeing too. You know, whatever. But but it, it was just it was very beneficial. I learned a lot about geese that I otherwise wouldn't have learned. Yeah, you're learning their interactions and what sounds they're making and watching birds come in and how they get excited for this group but not excited for that group and why is that and what's the weather. Like, it's like getting a master's degree and, you know, not even just goose hunting but just avian in general. I don't know what kind of degree that'd be called. I'm sure there's some kind of scientific name for it. But it's it's valid. It's like I love taking the kids to uh, the parks that have the, the resident birds that hang out. And it's it's just being around them and seeing what they do and how they're fighting with each other and just doing different stuff being around the birds in the off season it's like i was talking about being addicted to it you just want to be around them especially as a call maker and just hear what they're doing and hey you know i've heard i've heard birds do this before and what's their cadence and what are they doing you know because anybody can throw on a YouTube video of somebody running a world championship routine or a, even a live duck or a live meat or a meat routine or anything like that, but actually getting out there where the birds are at and listening to what they're doing, it's so beneficial. And it, it's the, I mean, that's why we all do it is being outdoors and the, the tie to the game, you know? Yeah. Well, too. And, and then like, like if you look at like calling today, you know, there's so much, information out there that you know i've seen it over the years and the way that it's evolved and like and, I, and i'll say like say my generation for example you know most of us learned to goose hunt before before we learned to goose call and you know i mean so i, I depended on you know when, when when i wasn't very proficient at calling i depended on the way i put decoys out to get those geese to do what i wanted them to do and you know like so with my friends you know when we're setting up and some of the guys that that aren't callers are like oh hey man well john's real funny about how he puts his decoys out well it's not that i'm particular about how you know but i'll tell him say look man just help help, help me get unloaded get set up and then i'm going to straighten it up but when you become a proficient caller you set that rig up to the way that you call and and you know before when i wasn't a caller i set my rig up a decoy, the decoy is a certain way that didn't look as natural as geese in a field, but trying to make those geese do what I want them to do based in, on how I set my rig up. Whereas now, man, I'll set it up loose, decoys all over the place, and, and people are like, my God, you've got goose coys. I mean, they're not even close to gun range. I'm like, no, they'll, they'll come to the call, just, you know, whatever, but you depend more on the calling. But so anyway, saying like, you know, my generation... In my opinion, they learned to goose hunt before they learned to goose haul. Well, now you've got a generation now that there's so much information that, you know, you can be at a show or and somebody come up and, and hey, can I try one of your calls? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And then I'm like, no, no, turn around the other way. And <laughs> in other words, they didn't even know what end of the call to blow out of. But then, and the kid gets a call, and then, you know, six, seven, eight months later, you see that same kid, and he's doing A to Z on it. Said didn't even know what end of the call to blow out of it, and you're like, hey man, hey, how'd you do that one note? I mean, they, they they really take the ball and run with it, but and I'm not, I don't want this to come, you know, I don't want this this generation here to take it the wrong way. But what I'm saying is, a lot of these guys now they they learn to blow goose calls before they learn to goose hunt, and so a goose call is nothing more than a musical instrument. A duck and a goose call both. They're they're nothing more than musical instruments that play duck and goose notes. And anybody can learn to play that musical instrument. I mean, you can go out to the mall and have some old blue-haired lady come across the parking lot and say, excuse me, ma'am, have you got a couple minutes? 
uh, in two minutes, I can have her doing a honk if she'll just listen, listen to the basic instruction. So it's a musical instrument that anybody can learn to play. And some people learn to play it very well, but it's one thing to learn to play that instrument, and then it's another thing to learn to be able to call and read geese. So, you know, call it what it is, but if you really know how to sound like a goose, early in the season when the geese, you know, they're not decoy shy, they're not flying shy, they're not call shy, you're certainly going to kill some geese that, that somebody who isn't proficient on a call, uh, you're going to kill geese because, hey, you know how to sound like a goose. But when you take that same goose caller, and now you get to late season where now these geese have been, you know, because, and everything is, is subjective. I mean, in other words, you can't say, well, this is what you've got to do. No, this is what you got to do on your playground because where you live and your surroundings, whatever, because you take like us, for example, we live at the end of the flyway, so to speak, where geese come to winter. So our geese can start showing up as late, uh, as early as late September, 1st of October, but they winter here. They winter here. They're here, you know, almost as long as they are on the on the nesting ground. So you're hunting the same geese all the time. Even though there's a lot of geese here, you're hunting the same geese all the time. They get educated pretty quickly. So um, you've, you've got to know how to blow that call. You've got to know how to call geese instead of just play your instrument. That sounds like a goose. You see, I mean, you follow me, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense because yeah. especially in a high-pressure area like, you know, you guys are out there, They've seen it all, and uh, you oh, yeah. know you don't. It, I, I'm sure you're looking forward during the season to getting a fresh push of birds in because they're not educated to that area yet. But oh yeah, when you get yep, and seeing a lot of times, you know, for years I would I would argue with the 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 biologists because they would say that you know geese don't shortstop, and I said, well, I, I totally disagree. They absolutely do, and they're like, no, no, they don't. Um, no, those, those aren't our geese. And I said, "Well, wait a minute." When I, when I was when I was a young kid growing up, in the fall time of the year, you'd hear all this honking. You look up in the sky, and man, I mean, they were a mile high, just strings and strings and these of Canada geese, and they weren't coming to Maryland. They were going to North Carolina, and North Carolina was the hot spot. But as years went on, they started wintering a little further north, a little further north, and then Maryland for a couple decades became the wintering grounds and. You know, that was the heyday of Canada goose hunting on Maryland Eastern Shore. But as time went on, and, and, and during our heyday, Pennsylvania and New York State, they didn't have any geese. That The geese didn't winter there. They came to Maryland. But as time went on, geese have become very adaptive, and they've learned to adapt. And they don't, they've learned that they don't have to go any, go any further than they have to. And so, just like you just said, if we've got, you know, a lot of geese that winter in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, but if you get a hard winter up north, it pushes a lot more geese down. And it's nice when you get a hard winter and they're giving us, you know, pushing fresh birds, even though they've been beat up on, say, up there, but they're coming to new ground, and it's nice when you get fresh geese. Well, and I think that they're so smart and adapting so well. Like, because we, we hunt a lot of residential geese. Our uh, migrators stop around the Missouri River, and I'm about 200 miles south of that. So we're hunting a lot of residential geese, but even if you go up around Kansas City in that area where they do get a lot of migrators, you'll see the same birds sitting in the same areas of the city. You know, they know where they're safe at inside of the oh, cities. Yeah. And then you'll see the migrators start piling in with them and they'll get on the same patterns as these these local birds. And it's like, I, I just think that they're getting smarter and adapting to the cities and knowing where they're safe at, too. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, a goose. A goose is very. It's a very adaptable bird. It learns to adapt, and you know, it's like I would say. I said, "Hey, if your kid wants to go to Burger King, you're not going to drive past two Burger Kings to go to the third one. You're going to go to the first one." Right. But, exactly. But now, if that Burger King is in a bad part of town, and you say, "Well, wait a minute," you know, I heard somebody got robbed the other day that okay well you know what we're not going to go to that burger king we'll go to the second one well it's the same thing with goose fields you know hey if they beat the hell out of them on this field they learn to kind of okay well we'll you know and geese are no different than a shotgun or an outboard motor or a pickup truck they're going to treat you how you treat them and when i say this and i say it to young beginning goose hunters that might have a good farm and i say listen don't shoot the big bunches don't overhunt it don't sky bust and try to maximize your opportunities. I mean, in other words, you know, as far as when geese come in, you guys on the outside, start on the outside, work in. You guys on the inside, start on the inside, work out. Don't go to that close bird. Go back. So we want to get in and out as soon as we can. So we, we're not putting any more pressure on that field than we have to. And if you can kill geese on that farm the last week of the season, the way you did the first week, you're handling your geese right. Because a lot of places... In the first part of the season, they're they're all stars. They man, you know, they're just steady shooting. But by mid season, those geese have learned that game, and they can't buy a goose because they've shot into the big bunches, they've overhunted it, they've sky busted, and you know, so so those geese are going to treat you how you treat them. Oh yeah, <clears throat> but that comes with experience, you know. It's just like with with um, you know, over the years and meeting a lot of different competition callers, and you know, having them come and hunt with me. And a lot of times I, I see what they can do on a stage. So, and they might run different patterns or different notes that I do. So a lot of times when I've got competition callers in the blind for the first time, I'll sit back and I'm just watching the geese. And I'm not blowing a call. I'm letting them blow because I want to see how they respond to what they're doing. But so many times you can tell <laughs> that they get lost. Like I'm like, this guy can run a call on a stage, but he's a lost ball in tall grass right now because he's blowing his call. But he's not calling these geese. He's just blowing his call, you know, whatever. But, it's, it's, I mean, some of that is just being young and inexperienced, and, and that's how you get experience, you know, whatever. But, but, uh, but you know, like I said, those geese are going to treat you how you treat them, and, and you got to hunt them right, and it, and, and, it's, and it comes with experience. And the longer you do it, the more experience you get, and you learn from your mistakes. And, you know, it's just like, say, like in a competition, you know, so many times – when a competition is over, you see guys going over to the judges and they're like, hey, did you keep notes? And they're like, uh, yeah, well, look, uh, round one, I was number seven. Um, you know, you mind if I see your notes? You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? And so, so you know, you're, you're looking for feedback. But the guy that won, you don't see him going and asking the judges. He doesn't care. He won. Well, it's kind of like the same thing in goose hunting. When you go goose hunting and you have a great day, you know, everything just stars lined up and you just, I mean, just everything was perfect. You really don't think that much about it because you had a good day, but but you know, early in my early years, man, I would, I mean, I you know, we struggled. I would lay back in bed that night thinking, man, what you know, what was it? I mean, and and and, and you know, it's a it's a fairly easy recipe. I mean, the ingredients are you know, location, blinds, decoys. Uh, well, I'll, 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 the prior the, the perspective I put it in is location, blinds, calling, and decoys, and I say that. I don't put as much emphasis on decoys, even though we have the most realistic looking decoys that we've ever had. I mean, some of these decoys are better than stuffers, but I've killed a 
ton of ton of geese over the years over junkyard rigs tires turned inside out weren't even painted some of them didn't have heads silhouettes homemade silhouettes and we killed a pile of geese over junkyard rigs so i don't put as much emphasis on the decoys as much as i do okay location 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 so if you're where the geese want to be you've got a lot of things in your favor so all you got to do is just not mess it up let them do what they what they are going to do you know, don't mess it up. Don't overthink it because humans humans have a tendency to overthink things. And then blinds. And if you look at blinds, you know, when I ride around Maryland and I, and I look at some of these farms, I'm looking at some of these blinds and I'm thinking, holy smokes, man. <laughs> this is a nice farm, but that is some cobbed up looking stuff. I mean, I, I think of like, a, you know, a predator, man. You, your hide is your best, you know, best advantage. You you got to have a good hide. And if you don't have location, 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 the, well, then you got to focus more on the other things so okay we got to make sure our blinds are very well camouflaged natural you know and and get as proficient as we can on the coals and then you know decoys but um so so it's all you know it's all relative um i was going somewhere with it and i can't <laughs> I, I, I get i get i get on these tangents and then i forget the point i was going to make but but anyway it's all anyway. good. It's like you were saying. It's all about having more tools in your toolbox. You know, location oh, yeah. is obviously the most important thing. And then your concealment. And it seems like it's funny you were talking about some of those jacked up blinds. When they first came out with those A-frames and we were hunting layouts, you know, all, that's all, well, always what we've hunted is layouts. And um, they came out those A-frames and I was like, well, that'll never work. You know, with these freaking residential geese, that'll never work. They're way too smart, way too finicky around here. And then uh, we started using it, and it never, like, we have yet to be burned on an A-frame hunt. And I was like, it's because it's so blatantly obvious that it's not like, hey, there's a couple of lumps out here in this field that weren't there. It's like, hey, this is just this random box that's out in the field. It, it's a very weird thing. I don't know why they work, but they work, at least around these parts. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, A-frames, uh, we, we, I mean, to say, oh, we invented A-frames, but, I mean, in other words, we've hunted out of A-frames for decades, and I, I got a couple acres here, and I grow switchgrass just for our duck blinds and goose blinds, and my favorite blind to hunt out of, all-time favorite blind, standing corn, 16-foot A-frame switchgrass, we'll leave 12 rows of standing corn, and we put the A-frame on the inside door, so you got four rows of corn, on the one side and four rows of corn on the other side and ideally you set it up for a prevailing typically a northwest wind but you can shoot either side so in the event that you get a, a southerly wind or whatever well we'll just put them out of the other side but um and and i mean we make sections we call them sections they're just uh uh four foot panels <clears throat> conduit and uh we put that um uh, i use that avery uh um no no it's uh it's that material gore-tex material and okay so so like in my decoy trailer i've got a little i've got a little knee wall in there for sections so if we if we were going to set up portables because sometimes we're hunting different places and we might go to different states or whatever and and so we always the layout blinds a lot of people when the layout blinds first came out i totally understood you know the the, the 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 idea of it like hey man you got to go to the geese you got wherever the geese are these layup lines let us go get under them you know and then people started digging them in more so that they didn't you know have as much profile whatever but but 
with the with the layouts, just shooting, sitting down, and they just see. I, I don't know. Part of part of the hunt is the camaraderie and, and being in a blind, whatever. But we'll use these sections, and so they're just four foot panels with that Gore-Tex. Uh, fabric from so you got a uh, the two conduit pipes and then you got a tube of two that goes across the top and then uh, two feet down it's got a, another tube of two and you put that fabric in there to a help keep the wind off it helps protect the grass but it also um, keeps a lot of the cold and wind off of you but we grass them up with switchgrass and man you could put them in a hedgerow a ditch or whatever and. We kill a lot of geese out of them. I mean, they're my favorite blinds on out of. They're so much more comfortable. My yeah. buddy made some, and he had some closed cell foam that he'd <laughs> use for his pool. And we cut sections of that thing so it's all waterproof and doesn't absorb a bunch of water. That is the, by far the warmest. It was totally ingenious because you, you sit in that thing when it's 15 degrees outside and you got a good 20 mile an hour wind blowing. You don't even feel it sitting down with that foam in there, and it's a uh, oh yeah, it's well, the way that, to go well, that, for that sure. That Gore-Tex, you'd be surprised that that Gore-Tex on there it helps protect the grass, but it helps keep that wind off of you. And I mean, it, it's it, and then when you've got them grassed up, that's got some pretty good R factor too. And yeah, it'll keep you warm. And so people just seem to shoot much better out of them. So once again, when I say you know maximize your opportunities, when geese come in, you know you 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 your success goes up and so now you're in and out quicker and so you can get picked up and get out and geese want to get in the field they get in and they're you know not disturbed as much and but yeah i swear, I swear by the a-frames yeah um, and you don't and need a pits, walker i mean like pits i've been in when i say 100 different pits in my lifetime probably more and and i could probably count on one hand and have fingers shown how many pits i've ever really hunted in that i'd like because it just seems like I, I bought a chair just for pits that that I can raise or lower because a lot of times you, they're either too deep or or they're not deep enough so that you can't get right. And then a lot of times, you know, you got your head out, you're turning around, and this that. I, I'm just not a real big pit guy. I, I I'll take those switchgrass a frames ten to one. Yeah, the, a, lot, a lot better to call out of, a lot better to shoot out of for me anyway. You know. Yeah, the the pits, I found, you know, especially with, like, spring-loaded doors and all that good stuff, it's almost, you get used to the the stand-up motion of the A-frame or the the sit-up motion of the layout, and uh, I felt like coming out of the pits, sometimes it was slightly disorienting, you know, there's just a lot more stuff going on, pulling your gun up out of the pit and standing up and trying to mark birds if uh if you're really brushed you know the pit's really brushed in i i yeah. felt it was more disoriented well, half the fun is is for the guys like in the sweat in the in in, in in our switchgrass blinds whether they're permanent or even on the sections we run screws and that's what you're tying your wire on to tie your grass on and like in our permanent blinds we'll go every nine inches of screw across the top and then across the bottom we go every uh, 18 inches. So when you put your first row of grass on, it's a little hand bundle, and you fill up the nine inches, and then you tie it with your wire tire, go to the next, boom. So now, but that's more uniform looking, right? So it's got a little bit of a more machined and not natural look. So then when you come in with the second row, that you bring that switch grass down a little bit, and now it's 18 inches across. So now it looks a lot more natural. And so I tell the guys about the look, don't break any grass. Just come to a screw and make a part. 
don't go crazy, but make a part. And so that A-frame closes you up, so they get over top of you. But you've got a little hole to look out of. So it's so much more better for the for the guys that aren't callers or whatever. They've got their eyes on these geese when they're coming in. So, you know, as a guide... And if you're in a pit and you you know you gotta have communication with your group and you know you'll 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 go over the hey man uh, low right high right out front you know you give them all the terminology so but but so when you call the shot you're telling them where they are but they come out and they gotta look for the birds and then try to get on one well you know all that takes time and in a moment's notice that goose can turn and and with the wind he can get out of there pretty quick but your success ratio goes up so much and it's so much more enjoying for the for the guys you're taking because they've got that little part so you're looking through that part and they got their eyes on these geese and they know and so they're just waiting for you to call the shot and your success rate goes you know goes up tremendously yeah but it's just like we're calling you know some of my buddies that aren't callers that go with me they kind of with me long enough that you know they're keeping their it's funny because when you're watching you know when you're talking about reading birds and when birds aren't acting right like you can have birds slide on you where, where, okay, they just didn't want it, but then you can have birds bounce where you're like, well, they flared off or something. So, and usually when you watch this and you're like, hey, man, who, who, and you're looking down the line, like somebody's looking up or moving or whatever. You got to keep still, keep your heads down, you know, and, and you can watch the birds and tell if somebody in the group's, you know, screwing up or whatever. But my buddies, they'll sit there with their heads down or they're looking through their little hole, but they're like, I can, I, just by the way you're blowing the call, I can tell. I can tell when you're trying to get the geese's attention. I can tell when you've got them. I can tell when you're trying to get them back. But I can tell when you go into a certain. You're. I, I don't have to. I mean, wait for you to say take them. I. I know when you shipped in because they've hunted with me enough times that you know what I'm doing on the call. Um. You know, as far as reading the birds and calling them, I can tell when we're getting ready to shoot them just what you're doing on the call. Yeah, and hunting with guys and just getting that experience of being around the same guys and knowing how you do things. We have a really bad habit in our group um, of, you know, we'll be messing around in between, you know, flights and flocks of birds. And it once a hunt, somebody will be like, quick, 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 over your left, over your left. And everybody ducks down real quick and you laugh at them as they go down. And it seems like by month two or three of the season – We'll be doing it, and nobody will move anymore. And the, <laughs> the, we did that one time uh, last year, and we just had a big volley of birds. And I'm out picking up, you know, picking up birds. And uh, I was coming from the farthest off and picking up a sailor, and just standing talking to my buddy. And I was like, "Dude, this is crazy!" And he's like, "Hurry up, get back in the blind. Hurry up, hurry up." And I'm like, yeah, whatever. He's like, dude, there are a hundred birds heading this way. And I was like, whatever, dude. We just had a big, huge volley. You know, we've done good. If we saw no more birds today, I'd go home happy. And he just, you can tell, he starts getting more erratic. Dude, get oh, yes. the hell in the blind right now. I look over my shoulder and 200 yards out, there's a hundred birds coming in. I was like, dude, we really have to stop this messing around stuff <laughs> because <laughs> we get to the point we don't even listen to each other anymore. Yeah, I would say move, movement is probably the biggest problem. I mean, you know, in the blind, people moving. Um, because rule number one, if you can see them, they can see you better. You know, they're up in the air. they got a bird's eye view. And um, so, now, when they're at a distance and you're outside of the blind and you're going to get in, that movement... 
at a distance is probably something that will attract them, like a flag, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, man. When when they're when they're getting into and and, and going back to like say calling, <clears throat> you know, some people are wing shooters and they don't like to shoot decoying geese. They're like, man, it's too easy of a shot. I don't want to shoot a goose doing the backstroke to get my hit the ground. And I said, okay, well then when the other guys shoot, wait till that goose gets where you like to shoot them and shoot it, you know. But but as a caller, so many times when you take a group that are that aren't callers. And you have a bunch come and they slide off your corner and they're like, they're right there for the killing, right there. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And they swing out and sometimes, you know, hey man, they're gone. And everybody's like, oh man, we could have shot them right here, man. I mean, and I was like, no man, I want to finish these geese. But on the other scenario, then you're like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And that right here, right here, right here. And and you could have taken them off this corner, but but they're just sliding off of you and you're like, no, wait, 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 wait. And they swing out. And then they make that, and then they come in and finish. You know, I mean, I, I mean, being a caller, you want to finish geese. That's that's you know, that's the fun of it. That, you know, but but some guys that are, you know, that are shooters, they don't they don't want to shoot decoying geese. They want to, you know, they like to pass shoot or take the high shots or whatever. And with that, I say, man, <laughs> pick out a higher one and go to it, whatever. But callers, we like we like to try to finish them. That that's. That's the fun part of it. Oh, know? yeah. And then you'll have the guys. I, like in, I said, I have more fun calling them than I do shooting them. Yeah, you'll have the guys in the blind like you were talking about. You know, say you have eight, ten people in the uh, in the A-frame, and they're like, well, we could have shot over here. And I'm like, well, you know, do you guys want everybody to shoot? Like, we're trying to center them up to make it a, a good hunt for everybody. Or do you just want three right. people to be shooting all day long? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to finish birds and do it the right way. And uh, not that there's, I personally, I think, you know, decoying, I'm not a pass shooter. Like, if, if they're not finishing, uh, I don't like shooting them in the butt, you know, if they start right. trying to yeah. land the wrong way. It's just the way that, you know, I learned hunting, and that's just the way that I feel about it. But I'm sure other guys feel differently, and that's fine for them. But if they're hunting out with us, you know, we're going to do it the right way. And if they're not finishing the right way, we're not going to do it. Oh, yeah. Because I don't yep. want to shoot three birds out of this freaking two dozen and educate all the rest of them to where next time oh, they're yeah. not coming back. Well, I mean, even like, like you know, a lot of times we'll have too, too big a bunch. We had game wardens watching us one day. I didn't know they were watching us. And um, and it was in my area, but it was a farm I didn't have. On the other side of the creek, I had a farm. And, and this guy, he, he'd gotten access to this one farm. And so he's like, hey, you want to go over there? I'm like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Go over there and beat up on his geese and leave my farm alone. Yeah, let's do it. So, but he was a duck hunter. And, you know, it was just getting into goose hunting. And so anyway, we got all these geese working. And, and, and I said, listen, man, I said, look, this is your farm. You can do whatever you want. But I can tell you, this was my farm. This is too big a bunch, man. We don't want to shoot this bunch. He's like, all right, okay, okay, well, what do we do? I said, just, 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 just watch them. And they just started piling in there, piling in there. And so he's like, well, and I said, look, man, it's just been my experience over the years. If a human gets out and gets them up, it freaks them out worse. So I sent my dog out there to get them up. So he goes out there and gets them up. And uh, so then they start milling around again, milling around again. More geese. The geese are just now starting to get up off the creek. They're all going out to feed. Got another bunch coming, man. I said, man, it, it's just, it's too many. It's too many. I wouldn't shoot it. He says, all right, okay. And then the decoys again, send the dog out there and get them. And he, so then finally, we had, it was four of us in the blind. We had a two bird limit. We needed eight. And we had three come to us. We shot the three. So now we started having more geese piling in there. And I said, I, I, I'd go get them up with the dog, send the dog out there, get them up. And 
So he's like, look, man, we can't play this game all day, man. Let's just shoot five and get out of man. It's too big a bunch. And so we had these, we had these, uh, we had three coming to us. I said, let these three pitch. I said, there's five behind them. We need five. Let's get those five. And so the three pitch, and then the five come to us, and they're like right there where we could have killed them, but I had an older guy with us. I knew he wasn't going to be too fast on the draw, and then and they look like they're going to pull out of us. I said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let them go out. And then they went on back to the creek, and I'm staying on with a call, staying on with a call, thinking, God darn it, I just messed this up. And they turned, came on back in. We shot the five. Now we're picking up. The game warden's come out there. And um, so they checked us. Everything was good. But he said, hey, man, we're riding by, and um, we saw the decoys out in the field, and then we saw these geese going, piling in there, and we thought, oh, man, I can take left their decoys out. Nobody's in the blind. Good God. They missed, you know, wrong, right place, wrong time. And he said, but then we saw this dog go out there and get them up. I said, yeah. And uh, and he said, well, that happened like two or three times. He said, what were you doing? He said, and then those three came in, but they didn't see, see us shoot the first three. And I said, yeah. So we let those three pitch because there was five behind them. We needed five to finish up, but we just wanted to shoot it in one bunch and try to kill the five. And uh, he's like, man, that was a pleasure watching that. He said, that was because uh, a lot of people don't do that, man. But over the years, I've learned, once again, those geese are going to treat you how you treat them. And when you shoot in those big bunches, and, and you'll get them early. I mean, you know, but, but if you don't handle your geese right, you know, come into the season, you're really going to struggle. Yeah, that is one of the worst you know, like I said, we hunt residential honkers. We're hunting flocks of 150 to 200, you know, in the middle of season. And that is the worst feeling when you have a scout and then you show up and hunt the next morning and all 200 come in two minutes. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yep. Well, we yep. got one shot at this or we can go home. But when they start trickling yes. off, you know, six here, four here, seven there, you know, that's when it's fun. Every mm -hmm. two minutes, you're getting a little bitty oh, yeah. volley. That's when it's real fun. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, you know, and, and I was listening to that. You had, like, with Teddy in there talking about, you know, well, I kill my judges and this, that. And, and, you know, you hear all that. But but I can tell you right now, as far as, like, being proficient on a call, like, we'll do a couple annual hunts where we try to get all the Team Shore thing guys here. And it's funny because we got uh, guys from Virginia and Delaware. And we'll all try to get together and get everybody together um, for a couple of hunts a year. And when you have that much talent in a blind and people say you know oh that calling stuff's overrated man i mean you give them a little something them geese are going to do what they do a lot of times that's just a defense mechanism for people that aren't very proficient on calls because i'm here to tell you right now and i can't speak for goose hunting nationwide worldwide whatever i can speak for our neck of the woods um if you're not a proficient caller and and, and you've got guys in there that are and you're set up across the road you're going to watch them shoot geese because <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're you're, you're going to watch the two geese. I mean, if, 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 you know, so it does pay to put your time in on a call, and, and it's rewarding. I mean, you're crazy if you don't. If you're an avid goose hunter and you don't get as good as you can on a goose call, you're cheating yourself because that's where the real fun is. Well, and that's what I ended up um, – I know you haven't got all the way through Teddy's episode. We're talking about it with the uh, the live competitions, the goose and duck, and, uh, you know, that more realistic sound, and then the meat competitions. I'm like, yeah. uh, yeah. what's what's their excuse going to be then? Because that is what birds do. <laughs> right, right, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, man, my gosh, man, I mean, you know, calling the way it's evolved over the years, uh, calls have gotten better, call, the, the information has gotten better, and – and there are a ton of great callers, man. I mean, just you know, like Teddy was saying, 
you know, like at the world last year, I mean, it, I, if you'd ever told me there was only going to be 12 contestants in, in, in the world goose, I, I would have lost money on that. I'm not a gambler, but I would have bet a lot of money. You would never see that day. But I think it's just that the level's gotten so good that, that people are just too intimidated. You know, they, they, I'm not paying a hundred dollars. I know I don't understand a snowball's chance of hell, you know, but, but the level of calling, man, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I had the success with it when I did because I couldn't run with this bunch now. These guys are asking me, I'm like, you know, you guys blow a call a whole lot better than I do. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't do what you all are doing. Ugh. It's crazy. Well, that's something that I intended to get into was uh, going through some of your competition calling. We're a little bit short on time now. Yeah. To I, There's so much that you have to tell with that type of stuff. Would you be interested in coming back in a few weeks? And- oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it, man. I, like I said, I, I, I'm usually, every every day I'm talking to somebody about goose hunting or goose calling or whatever, goose calls. So, absolutely. I, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me a shout and asking me uh, to be a part of it. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, it's been a, it's been a truly a pleasure and an honor for you to want to jump on here and do it and share some stories and some insight. And I really I appreciate the way that you look at hunting and the way that, you know, you look at the birds and study. It. And, and it's a very methodical approach instead of the guy who's just showing up on a Saturday morning hoping that birds are working. Not really, you know, who hasn't put in the legwork and there's different levels of everything, you know, all the respect in the world to the guys that are going out there and they're doing it their one day a weekend because you know, that's the way it is. But I I really like your approach to it because it relates more to myself and how I like to look at things. And I'm sure there's a bunch of guys that are listening to this that feel the same way. So I appreciate it comes with age too. It comes with age and experience because, you know, um, as time goes on, you, 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 you view it differently than you did, you know, 20 years ago, you know. Um, I mean, I, I have a, a, a much different appreciation for them than I did when I first started. You know, you just really appreciate the resource and, and very thankful, you know, blessed that, that uh, we're, we're able to do what we do. And, and being, a, you know, an enriched area that, that has it, you know, offers it because, you know, there's, there's nothing like it, you know. And as much as I love to field hunt Canada geese, and I do, it's truly my passion. But I love duck hunting too. When there's ducks right, I, I like I like duck hunting. <laughs> Me too, man. That's uh, it's it's the whole package. I love doing. I love the cranes. I love the snow geese. I love honkers. I love ducks. It's like I was saying earlier. Uh, you know, the guys that get into it and that really get into it, we're just addicted to it. How can we be yeah. involved all the time? Whether podcasts, hunting videos dog training call making man it's just how can i stay involved in it yeah the call making when i got into that man goose hunting started taking a back seat i i got i mean i was addicted to that man it was you know um because as much as i thought i knew what made a call tick because i mean I, I wasn't really a call collector but you know in my earlier days there weren't a lot of call makers but if a call came out you had to get it because you wanted to see what it was about and so you're constantly changing and you know taking the guts out of this and putting it in that or trying this insert in that barrel and whatever and as much as you think you know what makes a call tick when you start making calls and now you can well how about if i try this bore or this length or whatever and, and it just opens up a whole new you know that that can be another conversation but 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 the call making itself and and i was on your site looking at yours and man look i don't know how your duck calls sound but they look beautiful man you do awesome work they're beautiful calls i mean there's a ton of call makers out there right now that are just 
unbelievable, man. I mean, some of the calls I see on these uh, on the social media is just mind mind blowing, man. The talent that is out there is unbelievable. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Um, I've been reviewed. Um, I think Michael Meredith told me he's like they're not too bad. So I was like, all right, uh, I'm all right with not too bad. But I, yeah, we're. I feel like call makers were always mad scientists trying to co- constantly change it up and figure out how to make it a little bit better. Oh yeah. Well, I tell you, man, that, that's some beautiful work you do. Those are. I was checking them out earlier, and, and my gosh, man, that that was beautiful work, man. That that's now I'm back in there working on custom stuff because I switched over to CNC, and um, just because I don't sell a lot of calls, but having a full time job, it was starting. to I, you know, I would, I would be out there because I want to be, and then it was starting, I was out there, it was starting to be because I had to be, and so, you know, I, I, I uh, crossed that bridge and started getting stuff CNC'd, but, but now I'm back in the shack, uh, my little quack shack, and, and, and doing a lot more custom stuff, and, and man, just call making is, it's just a whole, I mean, it's, I put it right there with water fountain, it's, 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 therapy uh, I, I love it i mean uh, you know i'll be out there for hours and and the time just flies by call making's a mess of fun absolutely and that's uh you know it's it's something that i do you know like you said it's for the enjoyment of it i understand the guys that have to start seeing because you have to live a life at the same time and you don't want it to be a detriment but every time a guy comes out and posts this crazy custom call out of this different type of material and you know done this inlay or this carving or checkering or something it's like my creative juices get going oh, i'm like man, dude I'm i have to you. try it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, like i said man there's guys out there today and, and, and i mean just like you said the materials that they're using and some of the stuff they're putting out there is just just gorgeous man beautiful beautiful i mean because you know when I, when I first got into it there you know there weren't really that many call makers and and you know, they were making fairly basic, generic-looking calls, but you look at now, I mean, it's just works of art. I mean, just, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, man, and I'm not one of them. I mean, mine are pretty generic. I mean, there's nothing overly fancy about, you know, my calls, And but I look at some of this stuff, and I'm thinking, well, okay, well, let me try uh, these wood bands, or okay, well, let me try this inlay or whatever, but I, I you know, that, that wasn't a direction I was, you know, trying to go into because that's more time consuming and, and you know, I try to work more on design instead of, you know, but but after seeing all this stuff, I'm like, well, man, man, that was pretty, let me try that. And, and you do it, you're like, damn, man, that's, that's, I mean, I'm probably making some of the prettiest calls I've ever made. You know, I've been making them for 20 years and, and you know, just here recently, some of the stuff that I've been doing it, because I'm putting that, extra time but i'm enjoying it and, and i just do a very very limited number because because my time is limited but but i, I do enjoy it and that's that's the most important thing man just seeing that like i said it's when you see somebody doing something crazy and it just for no other reason i don't have an order on the books you know this is not something that i i'm even care if i sell it or not it's just i i want to turn this and i want to try this sucker out and if it screws up oh well I'm going to be a little bit disheartened because I, I failed, but I'm going to try it again. And uh, I don't know. It's it's the fun, and call making is so exciting right now with just how crazy people have gotten with their stuff. And uh, like you said, the availability of information, not, you know, it, it oh, yeah. relates to competition calling, but 
you know, back in the day, you well, couldn't go and ask anybody how they did this. And now I can jump on Facebook in five that's, minutes. That's, you know, I, and I saw that part on, on your interview with Teddy, and, and I thought, man, that's so true because, like, in the beginning, it was such a tight-lipped bunch. Nobody would tell you anything, and, and, and I didn't know anything, but whatever I knew, if somebody asked, I'd tell them because I, I don't make a living doing it. When I got into call making, I didn't get into it to be a call maker to try to, you know, I just wanted to make something that I was going to use in the field and on the stage. And, man, when I made that first call and called my first goose in with it, man, I was high as a kite, man. I was like, oh, how cool is this, man? I just called in a bunch of geese for the call I made. And then, you know, well, when you win the first competition on a call you made, just, you know, the, the you know, fulfillment or whatever that you get out of out of doing it you know um it just it just adds to it like like i said like with hunting you know if you're an avid waterfowler and you get in a contest home well it adds another dimension to it well you know if you start making calls and you're killing some birds with calls you've made it adds another dimension and if you're a contest caller and you get on a stage and have success with it it adds another you know so it all just adds you know adds to it but I never, like I said, I never got into it with the idea of, you know, being a big call maker or whatever. I just got into it because I just I wanted to make a call that I was going to blow, you know, that, you know, just self-satisfaction. And hey, if somebody wants one, you know, good. And if they don't, you know, uh, that's that's okay, too. <laughs> well, I expect to see some custom stuff coming out. And uh, if you have... I, I don't have the most questions in the world, but or answers in the world, but I can definitely point you to somebody for uh, inlays and different type of materials if you do have any. Um, <laughs> I at least know. Oh the- yeah, well I got on a rant. That's what I was saying. In the beginning, nobody would tell you anything, but but you know just just uh, you know Facebook stalking and looking on these different forums and stuff, and man, people are so helpful and like, hey, well yeah, no, uh, this is where you get this, or 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 man, uh, I mean they're they're just very very helpful and that's good to see i mean that's you know because like you said it, it it you know it raises the bar you get what you give and 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 when you when you help people people help you you know and and but but it seems to be um you know when i'm looking at some of these like comments and stuff like that and some of the calls that they're making and somebody has a question man people are like chiming in like yeah yeah this this we'll try this or well man uh you know and and it just i think that's really helped call makers um you know because some of the stuff they're turning out it's just everybody's helping everybody and and that's a good thing man yeah i was talking to teddy about it and we were talking about uh competition calling or call making i can't remember one of the two and uh we were pretty much saying that when you you raise the floor closer to the ceiling the ceiling raises it's better for everybody you know you want to go out and help the guys who are just starting out getting newer because then you're going to push yourself that much harder you might be you know helping out the next guy who's going to be another world champion call maker caller in you know five or six years so it's good for the sport it's good for the tradition to pass on the information and help guys out just like you said you get what you give out of it Oh yeah, no. I've had like in the past. I'd have guys call, <clears throat> give me a call, and they're like, "Hey, um, do you um, do you what do you do? Give calling lessons?" I'm like, "Yeah, man. If you want to get better on a goose call, uh, like, well, what do you charge?" Less? I'm like, "Man, I don't charge anything. You want to get better on a goose call? Come on by." And they said, "Well, look, man. I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't blow your call. I said, "Man, look, I don't make a living doing this. 
I don't care who's calling you, but and, and uh, you know Tim Brown's God rest his soul. Uh, he's dead and gone now. But it was a guy came over here. He's going to Tim Brown's call, and uh, he had busted a read in it. And I said, well, "Come on over, man. I'll see what I can do." And uh, got him a read in there. Got it all. You know, he he was happy with it, and we were going through it. And I said, "Look, I got some guys coming over tonight blowing calls. If uh, you want to hang around and watch them." And they came over and they were doing their thing. And after he left, he's like, they were like, man, why are you helping that guy? He, he phoned a Tim Brown's call. And I said, well, he, he asked me uh, if I'd help him. And I said, but look, the better I can make that guy, the better you got to get. If I can make him better than you, then you got to get better than him. It raises the bar. It's for the better men of goose calling, man. And anyway, that guy called Tim uh, and said, well, you know, and Tim called me and goes, hey, man, that guy told me, uh, you went over there and got him straight, man. I appreciate that, man. You know, but that, that's the way. And, and Tim, man, my God, I mean, he, he did a lot for me over the years, too. So, you know, you uh, you get what you get, man. Yep. I think that's a perfect way to end it, sir. Yep. Yep. Well, like I said, I, I really, really appreciate you giving me some time. And I definitely want to get more into your call making and more of uh, the competition calling. So, I'll have to hit you back up and see when you have That's, some free time. That sounds good, man. Well, hey, listen, thanks for the shot. I appreciate the opportunity, man. And, and, hey, if I can ever be of any help with anything, call me anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it, sir. All righty, buddy. Good night. All right, take care. All right, Mr. John Taylor, world champion, champion of champions, call maker, avid goose enthusiast. He, uh, you I can't say any more than he already said. So hopefully you guys liked it and enjoyed it. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, make sure you like that picture of the duck call. Um, share it. Tag a couple buddies in there. Subscribe. Um, do all the normal stuff you guys been doing. I, I'm really happy with the, the turnout and uh, enjoying the conversations. Um, follow us on the social media if you want to. And uh, I hope you guys have a good night.